Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to all of my viewers and listeners. And assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to my guest today, Maulana Yusuf Saab. How are you, Maulana Yusuf? Wa alaikum salam Alhamdulillah, I'm well. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm good. I'm good. So, Maulana Yusuf has uh, very generously joined me from across the ocean. Um, as he was asking me before we started, um, I'm on the other side. So, he's from England, mashallah. He's joined me. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about mental health in Islam and discussing it because I actually saw his uh, speech or his bayan from a few weeks, which, you know, a lot of times it's not addressed. MashaAllah Maulana is very well established. He's a teacher. He teaches in his locality and he also takes a lot of classes online with his teachers. Still, he studies about 12 hours a week with his teachers, aside from doing his own revision and looking through books. And MashaAllah, as you can see behind him. This is uh, a part of his collection, mashallah. Um, I always see him online that he's posting. He is getting a new collection. It seems as though once a week, twice a week. So he's always in a state of reading, mashallah. And this is something we should aspire to do ourselves is reading more and more. Maulana, mashallah, Maulana also studied under Maulana Elias Guman in Pakistan. So it's, it's great to have such an established teacher and such an established student who studied under one of our great alims and scholars from Pakistan as well and you know if you if you want to listen to Maulana mashallah he talks great it's just you know you listen to him it's especially his Ruhani Bayanat that they're just amazing you listen to them and you can gain so much so Maulana without further ado is there anything else you'd like to address for us or let us know anything else about yourself I think today's topic is more important than me. <laughs> I see today's topic is more important than you. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. That's, that's, you know, mashallah, great quality. Actually, what happened yesterday is uh, when I was having, what's it called? I was spending some time with some of the donors who, you know, for the organization I work for. They actually addressed this. They said, how come we never talk about mental health in our communities, in our societies, in our masajid? What, what, is, what is the reason we don't talk about it and why should we talk about it? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Alhamdulillahi al-lazhi rafa'a al-samawat bighayri amad Al-salatu al-salamu ala al-lazhi tamma husnuhu baha'u Wa ala alihi al-tahirin al-tayyibin Wa ala ashabi jama'in wa mantabi'ahum ihsani la yamidin Hafiz Sahib, this is a, a great question that you've asked Why is it that no one talks about mental health in our community? And why should we? From what I've seen, what I personally believe Is that there is number one a lack of awareness or a lack of knowledge of what mental health actually is and also there's a stigma within our community so let's look at for example many of our imams so in the, in the uk especially until recently most of our imams were those who were born in pakistan india and bangladesh now we know that uh, in third world countries like where we come from, the understanding of mental health, especially amongst the layperson or the general masses, is not the correct understanding as it should be, as opposed to maybe in the West where medicine, science has advanced a lot further. So the I believe that there is a, a lack of understanding of what mental health is because in our community, as soon as somebody is facing depression, anxiety, PTSD, or any other mental health illness, the first thing that our community tends to do is blame it on black magic or nazar. 
Now the thing is we accept black magic is haq, it's proven, established from the hadith, sihar is established from the Quran, there's no doubt about it. But the issue is that there's a small marriage problem, the wife is now showing or the husband is showing a little bit of a mood at home and immediately the family believe that they now have to go to an amil or a raqi to seek treatment. So here when, when there's a kind of denial of mental health, I believe, if people are not accepting, are willing to accept that mental health is an issue or this is a mental health issue, rather it's an issue of black magic, I think we're downplaying the, the importance of mental health or what mental health actually is. So once people deny mental health, then no one is going to talk about it. And I remember many of my friends stating that whenever someone in our community would have a mental health issue, they'd go to the Imam Sahib and the Imam Sahib would say, just pray, just pray. So there's no understanding of what mental health is, what are the treatment options for mental health. And praying has just become like the general answer to every every problem. You have a money issue, make dua. Uh, you know, your father's got cancer, or just make dua. No, no one's downplaying the importance of dua, and dua is much more important than taking the asbab. But that's not the only treatment option or the only the only way that you deal with that issue. So in terms of mental health, every single person has mental health. All of you, yourself, myself, and everyone that will listen to this podcast, everyone has mental health. Some will have a good mental health, some will have bad mental health. But within the counselling field, as I'm training in it, uh, in the humanistic approach, the, the belief, and actually this came from America, the humanistic approach, and it was taken up by the British counsellors, that every person has an innate power to recognise his own potential given the right environment. So every person has the ability to reach the maximum potential they have based on the environment that they are given. So even a person who is suffering from uh, mental health issues has the ability, given the right treatment, given the right conditions, given the right help, to improve their situation. And the reason why I believe it's important to discuss this is because it's so prevalent within our community and our refusal to talk about it is damaging our community. So the non-Muslim public in general, they talk about it, they seek treatment. Now, because of our refusal or denial, we are really damaging our community even further. Because if we were to talk about it, there would be an option where you know, we could give treatment to our people, we could ask them to be, to get treated. But because we're not talking about it, no one knows what are the treatment options. And people look up to our Imams and our scholars uh, for, for you know ways out of life problems. So when the Imam is uh, not as, his information on, on the topic is, is not as it should be, He's unable to deliver that to the public. And I think that is one cause that our Imams, people believe Imams 
um, are people who should know everything. Whereas I, I believe myself that until I enrolled on the counselling course, I was I lacked a great awareness of what mental health was, even though I had done short courses on mental health. So I think the starting point is every imam should have continuous CPD, continuous professional development, where he's made to do courses like these, so that he's able to help a certain uh, segment or a certain part of his community who will suffer from mental health conditions. SubhanAllah, that's uh, very, very kindly put. Like, you know, you're so, so, <laughs> such, such generously putting it. I mean, SubhanAllah, it's, you know, I haven't heard it put that way before, especially from an imam or a maulana or a sheikh, you know, so it was, it was, I was just listening and throughout the course of the podcast, I always take notes. So you'll see me taking notes. So, one of the things uh, which when I had Molana Noman earlier on, Noman Chima from New Jersey on earlier this year, um, one of the things which he spoke about was a lot of times our imams or shuyukh, they don't have the proper training to deal with a lot of inter-community elements. Like, for example, there's some issues going on in a marriage. You need to go to a marriage counselor. What people do is they'll go to the imam. He'll just ask a question like, are you okay? Are you okay? They're both okay. Okay, no problem. Counseling is done. But, you know, you're shedding light on the fact that the continuing the professional development for our imams is very important. And I think the communities, it's also the fault of the community where they don't place enough emphasis and they don't place enough uh, resources for our imams as well, where they don't place aside time for them. They expect them to be available all the time, that do imama, do this, do that, but they don't encourage them nor do they um, give them like a stipend to take these courses if they cost money. Like if you go to any uh, Western organization or you go to charitable organizations, they set aside funds for the professional development of their staff. But our masajid don't really do that, which is, I think, an injustice to our imams that they should set aside some funds so the imams can get this training comfortably because he's helping out the community. And if they don't set aside the funds for him, and he has to do it out of pocket. He's not gonna. It's not gonna be as incentivized as it is because he's giving back to the community. So, mashallah, you know, I, you know, this is something. If whoever the listeners are, <coughs> if you're on a masjid board or a committee, please set aside some funds to help out your own imam or scholar, a resident scholar, so they can continue developing themselves, as Maulana Sab said. You know, through these courses as he's doing, mashallah. Mashallah is younger than me. He's spending so much time teaching people, and at the same time, he's taking these courses. It's just amazing. So, the second question I had was, what does our dean say about mental health? Before we move on to this question, I just yes. want to reiterate what you you just said yeah. regarding the CPD of imams. Um, Masjid boards, committees need to see this as an investment. Yeah. So I have a friend in a masjid, mashallah. The masjid has around a million pounds. Now, the Imam Sahib asked that, could you help contribute, you know, half the cost of my my counseling course? He wanted, he wanted to do a counseling course. And they said, we'll get back to you. And after that, the only thing he heard was deafening silence. So masjids have the money, people are donating money. So what is that money being used for? You know, uh, you invest $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 into your imam, you're you, you definitely going to get it back in services. You've paid for him to do a course. 
you are the community is going to benefit. The very same people who are donating day in, day out on Jumu'ah and Eid, they are the ones who are going to benefit. It's their money. They've donated it to the house of Allah. They should see the, the, the benefit of that money. And the, the community does not just want to see nice chandeliers and domes. You know, every year it should be mandatory on the imam to do a, a course. Understanding autism, mental health, first aid, you know. There should be a different course imam is required to do. There was a masjid that approached me a couple of years ago asking to take over their madrasa. It was a small madrasa. Now the Imam Saab, he was from Pakistan and he could not speak English. But yet he'd been teaching there for a couple of years. So uh, one of the conditions I made for joining their madrasa was that they pay for their Imam to learn English. Mm. I said, I can't join your institution unless you give me the proper stuff. I know you're not going to get rid of him and I don't ask you to do that. Mm-hmm. But what I ask you to do is ensure that he learns English because I cannot have an Ustad who is unable to effectively communicate with British-born kids. Mm. So I said, look, it, it might cost you, but really it's an investment because you know your Imam until now cannot do an English ban in Jumu'ah. So it's it's you that is going to benefit. So I think the the masjid committees and boards need to really, uh, because imams, you know, when they look at CPD and one thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, it may it may be a cause of hesitancy for them to go ahead and enroll in those courses, uh, because not not every imam is well off, you know. So even within within work workplaces in the UK, um, it's the workplace that pays for courses for their staff. But they realize, okay, we've paid this amount of money, but we're going to get it back through the, the qualities of, you know, of the individual. So in regards to, to mental health, we have a, a narration in Bukhari and Abu Dawood that there was a woman, كَانَ فِي عَقْلِهَا شَيْءٍ So she was, she had a mental health issue. And she approaches the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam and she says, Look, I have a, uh, I have a need. I need to talk to you. And the Messenger وسلم, very beautifully said, Oh woman, walk in any street of Medina. And I will I will walk with you, sit and sit with you, and I will not depart until your need has been fulfilled. And look at the compassion of the Messenger. You know, uh, subhanAllah. Someone has a, a mental health issue and we, we walk, we, we, we change paths. We, we, we walk across the road. Uh, SubhanAllah, we treat mental health as if it's contagious. But the Messenger, alayhi salam, rahmatan lil alameen, qudwa. You know, the, the, SubhanAllah, he treated her with such compassion, such muhabbat, such akhlaq. And this was a message to the ummah. How should we treat people with mental health conditions? So we need to treat them really with, with love, affection, understanding. So coming back to the first point is if we lack understanding of what mental health is, we're not going to be able to treat people with mental health conditions with respect and akhlaq. Okay, okay, that's, mashallah, 
Um, so many times people, they say that, you know, we should, as you said earlier, that we should just pray <laughs> the issues away. Um, but it's not that easy. Like, you can't just be like, oh, okay, well, I'll go pray two rakats of nafir and, you know, my anxiety will go away. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't just do that. Why, you know, and a lot of it comes from what I understand. Like, we were talking yesterday, we were having a discussion amongst friends. We were talking about how a lot of us, we come from first generation immigrant households. And this ideology wasn't there. And we're <coughs> thrown into a new society. Like, for me, going to school, I was the only Muslim Pakistani Muslim kid there. And I was the only Muslim Pakistani kid there for a period of years. And, you know, we can't hang out with those kids, obviously. Some people let their kids hang out. But when they come back home, they realize that the environment at home and the environment at Johnny's house is so much different. How much How much of a, a burden or how much of a issue that does this become not having, you know, where you're at home and they're like, okay, praise Allah, everything will be okay. And, you know, you're interacting with these people who have such different ways of lifestyles. Does this really play a part into how a lot of us are, you know, being mentally, I won't say traumatized, but like mentally damaged? That's a good question. From a, a Shari'i perspective, we are, we are, encouraged to have those friends of taqwa mm -hmm. those who have a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala those who bring us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now despite the advancement of the west in terms of technology in, in every field uh, for example a, a statistic of the UK 50% of youth which is up to the age of 25 have faced a mental health illness whether it's anxiety, depression, PTSD. And that is mind-blowing, mm -hmm. considering what's out there, the services services available. SubhanAllah, the technology, the gaming, the, the fun available to them. And yet this is the level of, of, of depression faced in the society. And Peer Zotfiqad Naqshwandi, he says something amazing. He says, depression is not a, a word found in the Urdu language. It's it's imported from the English language. And he said that because depression was not found amongst our, our Aslav. So that's not to say that there weren't cases. He, the, the point is that depression and anxiety and these illnesses weren't as prevalent years ago, hundreds of years ago as they are today. And I think social media friends all have an impact on this. You know, they say that a lot of the couples who post pictures on social media are actually the least happiest. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of this plays a part in, in having an effect on the mental health of our children. So going out partying, clubbing may seem as, as a break for many non-Muslims. Yeah. But it, it, it ends up with depression. It ends up with financial ruin. And a lot of times the lives people lead is is a, a major cause in, in some of the mental health issues that they face. So when our youth hang around with those people who have not recognized Allah, who lead a, a life of sin, a life of disobedience, which can many times lead or become the leading cause of their mental health issues, it definitely can have an impact on, on the mental health of our own children because sometimes they fall into them very same lives as well. 
But the, 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 the plus point is that our children have a way back. Mm-hmm. They know that the doors of Tawbah are open. But the point you raise is very important. And again, it comes back to our lack of understanding of mental health. When people say, I have a mental health condition, illness, and the first answer is, oh, just make dua, you'll get better. Uh, I'm thinking, why do we never hear this as a sole reply to cancer, mm. to every other illness? If that was the case, Asad, you know, the doctors would have no business. Yeah, And I, I, I know over here, NHS is free and you, you pay insurance in the US. So how yeah. it's so, expensive. <laughs> so things will be much easier in the US, you know. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a lack of understanding, you know. Uh, for every other illness, we 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 encourage du'a, we instruct du'a, but we also instruct treatment. Yeah. So mental health is also an illness. We cannot just encourage du'a. We have to encourage treatment as well. I see. That's you know that that makes sense. That makes total sense. Now you raise the point of people, you know, drinking and taking what's it called substances to I guess quell their you know mental anxiety, you know, mental health issues, anxiety, depression. Now I used to own a food business, and the food business used to operate in an area um, on the weekends where there would be people going to bars and clubs and different things like that. It was it was a halal food business. A lot of times we'd run into a lot of people who'd come to eat food and uh they would come and they would they would tell us you know i would ask them i'm like why do you drink they were like it was a hard week i was like does it help you they're like actually after uh, the next day is worse than before but they're like for a few hours we get to forget everything because we get drunk through this i also ran into many muslims unfortunately who were also getting drunk and i asked them i i would ask them i'm like why do you do this to yourself and they're like, they're like, we wish we didn't. You know, even the Muslims who unfortunately are getting into this, they're wishing they didn't get into this because it's causing them more grief and issues than they started off with. And you said people end up in financial ruin. People end up in bad situations because of, you know, getting drunk and stuff like this. And they think that, you know, taking the substances or drinking alcohol will help their sorrows go away. But in fact, it, it doesn't. It just it makes it worse. And our people who envy Western society, you know, there's Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given some benefit. There's some, you know, some benefits through, you know, certain things they've created, certain ways they've created. But, you know, just take, for example, social media. The negatives definitely outweigh the positives. Without a doubt. If you look at Instagram, yeah, you might see, you know, Mufti Mank's, you know, a clip of Mufti Mank or Mawlana Tariq Jamil or Mufti Tariq Masood or something like that. But there's a hundred times more bad stuff out there. And if you, if you, what's it called? If you're posting on there and you're trying to keep up with trends, you're trying to keep up with people, you're watching people who look more beautiful than you, it, it does have an effect on you mentally. Like, why am I not able to look that good? Why am I not able to keep up with people like this? And, and sometimes we're discussing amongst friends. Our people, they've become so entranced by these social media influencers that even like Muslim social media influencers, like people who come from Muslim households or backgrounds, they'll post the most stupidest asinine post, but people will go and like it. Now, somebody will post something similar 
and they won't get any likes on their post. And for them, it's like this, you know, oh my God, why isn't anybody liking any of my posts? I'm posting good pictures of myself. I look perfect. I look happy. Why aren't people liking? And because of this trying to prove to people that they're so happy, they get into further depression because people are not acknowledging the happy. And and the pictures are all, you know, pictures are usually posed for fake smiles, things like that, fake elements. You're wearing perfect clothing. How often do we walk around in perfect clothing? I mean, you know, it's a question you should ask yourself. So, like you said, the social media aspect of it, I think, plays a huge part into it. Um, if you want to elaborate any more on that, you know, more than welcome to on the social media aspect of mental health. No, I think we, we've both done a, a good job enough, mashallah. Um, so what's it called? Uh, how how does one's spiritual health suffer if mental health is not addressed? Because, you know, like you said, just do dua. But how can one do dua if they're not mentally in the right place? How How can I stand up for a whole night of salah if, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, maybe some people that have suicidal thoughts. Or people, they have thoughts of, you know, other sorts of harm to themselves. How can they even focus on Salah? This is a very good question because when a person is suffering from a mental health condition, his his worldview changes. His or her worldview changes. The way they see the world changes. The way they look at life changes. So for a person who is not suffering from a mental health condition, Things seem normal, going to work, coming home, going to the masjid. But for a person with mental health condition, it's like they're in a dark tunnel and they can't see an, the end. For, for a person like that, for him to pray, for him to you know, read Quran becomes very, very burdensome. You know, Liken it to someone who is bedridden the sharia has given him concessions in terms of how to pray but even then a person who is bedridden will struggle to read because of his situation so in a, in a similar manner but i think even even more difficult for a person who is suffering from mental health conditions and truly a person cannot appreciate what a person goes through unless he has been through that mental con health condition himself. So, when a person is, is suffering from a mental health condition, for them to really uh, build their spirituality can become difficult. The only way that this can happen is if they are able to seek treatment for their mental health condition and then uh, make more effort on, the, on, on their spirituality. So I believe both of them go hand in hand. Spirituality can help. We know that if a person is suffering from suicidal thoughts and a person has faith in Allah, that is a big factor in stopping him from taking his own life. But we also know that there are certain times where even Muslims have taken their own life. And we pray that it's they are included in those people from whom the pen has been lifted. And that can happen. Sometimes a person, his mental health condition is so bad, he's not, he does not know what he's doing. So both of them go hand in hand. When your mental health is good, it enables you to work on your spiritual condition. However, if your mental health is bad, it's going to severely impact on 
how you read, when you read, how much you read. And I think once we are able to recognize the link, we are going to be able to treat our uh, community better, inshallah. So like when my mother passed away It's been almost five years now I, I know at that point in time Mentally My brain was going through it But I didn't know what to do And you know you know, Reading Salah I was doing it as best as I could But sometimes you know Your mind just deviates um, You think something's happening to you Like you know You think you're gonna die You know because Somebody close to you passed away it didn't hit me that hard when my mother passed away. But a year later, my uncle, I had just spoke with him and he passed away the day after. When that happened, my mom went to Pakistan. That really, really hit me. Really, really hard. Like, it was like, I saw my mother suffer. I saw her go through everything. And then her pass away from her cancer. Um, but when I spoke with my uncle, we, you know, we, we had had some miscommunication um, where I had called him, he missed my call, he called me, I missed his call, and we thought we were upset at each other, but we weren't. We were. It was just some miscommunication. When we spoke, we were very happy. I was like, I'm sorry, I asked him for forgiveness. I said, you know, you're my elder, you're my uncle, forgive me, and he forgave me. And, you know, he's like, oh, you know, my bhanja also forgive me, my nephew forgive me. I said, you know, you're my uncle, I don't have to forgive you, you didn't do anything. And a great conversation, this is like Tuesday evening. And then uh, Thursday morning, I come, and this is when my son was, you know, just born. I come, and my mother-in-law is like, do you know your your mom who passed away? I was like, no, I just spoke with him. Like, it's been like a day. And she's like, uh, no, he passed away. He had a heart attack. And when I heard that, it was like that the trauma I felt through that, almost like I've, I suffered through that for a period of like almost two years because it was just such a shock. And, you know, it, it took me a lot of, you know, different things to do, creative things to do to get my mind space right. And it was it was really difficult. And, you know, you bring it up that we're not going to be able to pray and we need we do need to seek help. But, you know, we come from a culture, especially you're from you're from a Pakistani background. I'm from a Pakistani background. You know, Southeast Asian backgrounds are really rough on this especially when it comes to familial relations where if 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 i were to go seek help i would hear more about it that what's wrong with you why are you going how should we address this i mean i feel like it's a real issue especially in our southeast asian households where people criticize already so much but when somebody's trying to seek help they're like, you know stuff, things we shouldn't say you know <coughs> what is some advice for for the elders or even for youngsters who say stuff like that so we, we have a serious issue within our community where mental health has certain terms associated with it. So if we were to have a, a diagram on the board and yeah. we wrote mental health mm. and circled it, and we asked our community, what words do you associate with mental health? We can almost guarantee there would be words like pagal, yeah, bewakuf, yeah lost the plot and and when we were doing mental health this is one of the first lessons that we had the teacher asked us to mention words which we have heard or associate with mental health, mental health conditions and it was mind-blowing and, and this is something that we should definitely do with our community in the masjid or our classes and ask them what words do we associate with mental health and majority of the words are negative 
majority of the words are words that we should not use for mental health. Which, if a person suffering from mental health hears those words, it's going to push them down even further. Now, we recognize that there is a, a significant problem within our community. Now, we, or part of us, some members of the Muslim community, the South, the Pakistani, the Indians and the Bangladeshis, those who come from those countries, some of us are, are actually creating a further problem. We are, we are damaging our community even further through the usage of our words. Hmm. Now, seeking treatment whether it's counseling, psychotherapy, and the other therapies available for, for, for mental health conditions, is a very big step for most patients. You know, for, for a person to admit that they have a mental health condition is the first step. The second step is considering treatment. Now, a lot of people know they have a mental health condition, but because of stigma, they don't want to seek treatment because now they're going to be known as, oh, this person's got depression and he's seeking treatment. So now, if someone from our community has decided they want to seek treatment, this should be applauded. They should be encouraged. Rather, we are doing the total opposite by using words which are going to discourage people. Which are going to make them feel even worse. So I implore our community that if someone is seeking treatment for a mental health condition, don't use words which will discourage them from seeking treatment. I, I've heard this myself. Oh, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, do you live in, in his body or her body for you to know? So we are really, we are the obstruction. And I feel if we were to encourage our community to seek treatment, we would not have the significant problem that we have. Because at the moment, we are very good at uh, brushing things under the carpet. And this is what we have done with mental health conditions. We've just brushed it under the carpet, hoping it is, it's going to go away. But the problem is just increasing. So, yes, I think we, we need to be more polite. We need to be more courteous, show decorum, and encourage people, you know, uh, put our arm around them and say, you know, keep going. Support them. You know, it, it, it's really difficult for a person to seek treatment. It's a leap. It's a big leap. Yeah. And that leap needs to be appreciated. Yeah. I mean, we <clears throat> the way we use words a lot of times in society... Um, it, it's it's just reckless, and yes. you know, like you said, we make the problem even worse than trying to trying to make it better by encouraging somebody. And and you know, we were we were discussing a hadith yesterday, and the hadith is uh it related to you probably heard it the one where the man who was looking for a son he lost a son, and he saw the Prophet sitting, the, his son was playing there, and he saw uh, the Prophet sitting. And watching the kids play and he asked permission to take his son and the prophet told him leave him and, you know he went he came back he came back and he said again the prophet was asked permission he said again leave him and then the third time 
he came and he told him that you know uh, he asked permission and the prophet said go ahead take your son when he was going the prophet called him back and told him that uh, don't call him by my son or any words of you know possessiveness and you know he the man didn't inquire he's like why um you know as an, any normal person like us would do he was he was a sahabi no doubt but he also asked and the prophet explained to him that these are orphans they're playing they will feel a certain way and the prophet through his beautiful expression he's expressing even when the man asked can i take my son he didn't say no he said leave him there was no no words of negativity and even when he said to him explain to him don't call him my son he's trying to push out that negativity that call him by name and take him you know he doesn't want the orphans to suffer through trauma mm. that they don't have a father um, in many stories we hear where somebody might have done a sin, they come to the Prophet they ask him for advice, or they confess their sin in front of him. And he doesn't say, punish him to the Sahaba, or he doesn't start you know, beating him. Talks very kindly and explains in very good words what not to do. And we could really you know, use a lesson in Sira, all of us, to how better use our tongue. But but like, you know, you're saying, you were talking about, you know, words, acknowledgement. What is what is some prophetic advice for all of us that how should we address, assess? And I know you told the story about the Prophet ﷺ accompanying the Sahabiyah, you know, who was suffering through mental health. But what is some prophetic advice? MashaAllah, you're the Mawlana here. Um, what is some prophetic advice for us to understand and acknowledge mental health and go forward with it to help people out in our society and our communities. So, when we look at hadith in in general and, and Quran, so for example, when it comes to the Quran, we know that Ibrahim alayhi salam, on his deathbed, when addressing his children, he said, "Ya baniya, inna Allah astafalakum din." Oh, my children. Allah Ta'ala has chosen for you Islam. Now, some of the scholars of Tafsir have mentioned that Ibrahim al-Islam used the word, Oh, my beloved children. So this is an indication that if you want someone to listen to you, use words of love. Because when you use words of love, of, of compassion, they are more likely to accept your advice. Now, in, 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 a, in a Desi household, how are children called? Oi, Idra. Oi, come here. Now, this is going against the, in, the teaching of the Quran. The Quran tells us when you address someone, address them with titles of love and respect. Now, we, we know that uh, at times the Messenger والسلام, would turn to Mu'adh, Oh, Mu'adh, I love you. Mm -hmm. So, even within, within the prophetic language, we have. We, we have words of honor. We have words of love. So this is a direct command for us Muslims, whether the person has mental health or his mental health is good, to, to address them, to talk to them with, with love. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, that even when people, when those who had uh, fallen into sin, they came, the Messenger of Islam still gave them honor. He gave them muhabba. So this, this really emphasizes that even mental health conditions, there's a greater need to talk to them 
in in language in in words in a way that grants them honor that they feel honored they feel special and the sahaba would say that in a gathering each one of us would feel that we were special to the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam so we need to make the person who is suffering from mental health condition feel special feel loved feel wanted and this will be a step in, in improving their mental health state so this is something that we learn from the general conduct of the messenger sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wasallam i see that's mashallah that's so great and and i know a lot of times what happens is i'm not trying to criticize parents i'm a parent myself but a lot of times people will yell at their child and while they're yelling at their child they'll throw out a few curse words and one of the worst ones people use which doesn't make any sense to me in in, in desi households is you know you know why are you insulting yourself and why are you insulting your child and with these words and when they pick it up in the future when they start cursing people are like oh why does my child curse why does my child use language like this mentally they've developed um an acceptance of this kind of language mentally they've developed an acceptance of the kind of conduct which you're portraying to them so if down the road they do develop some issues it's because of what i've done as a parent to my child for him or her to develop the issues that they have so taking responsibility i think is is a big part of it as well that if if you did contribute to it you should also contribute to trying to help them get out of it as well um so malana do you have any parting advice for us or any other elements which you'd like to touch on for us tonight or today sorry it's morning <laughs> just i would like to finish off with a couple of points that i i raised in my juma ban which you've seen seen on youtube yeah is number 1 the first point of call for a mental health issue is not an imam in general imams are not trained counselors they are not trained psychotherapists they are not mental health professionals mm. so the imam should not be the first point of call when it comes to an illness just like the imam is not the first point of call when it comes to cancer he should not be the first point of call when it comes to mental health conditions and when something happens or we feel that's an issue when we deny it being a mental health condition and we think it's sahar or nazar and now we go to someone in that field we are delaying the diagnosis of the patient which is causing harm delayal of diagnosis and treatment is harmful for for any patient hmm. so i've always recommended to my community that if it's a mental health condition go to go to the doctor seek treatment if they can't find what what the issue is then consider going for ruqya or or to the to, you know for treat, for that for, for special treatment but the first point of call in these cases should be the doctor should be mental health professionals that's number 1 number 2 sihar and nazra true and there are certain signs for that but we have expanded the scope so large the every mental health condition has now fallen under sihar and and that should not be the case you know there's clear signs of sihar and nadar uh, and there's clear signs of, of of mental health conditions yeah and don't go to crazy babe yeah that's that, 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 that's without saying yeah. <laughs> and the the third point 
is, as I said at the beginning, that our imams are not trained mental health, uh, you know, therapists. So the important point is that we don't offload onto our imams because imams also have mental health. So can you imagine that if there's if you are having, a, a, you know, a rough night or a rough week, and every single person is then offloading onto the imam? Can you imagine the state of the imam's health? Mental health. Mm. Nobody asks him. Nobody asks him. And many times, who does the Imam turn to then? <laughs> so who does he, uh, you know, uh, share his duk with? So if it's a, a, an issue, I believe Muslim counselors. We need God-fearing Muslim counselors. Mm. And we ask Allah Taala to uh, make this podcast beneficial, and uh, inshallah, I mean, hopefully. hopefully um, it will have be a means of understanding our community, inshallah. I mean, I mean, no, Jazakallah khair for your time, Mulan Sab. Jazakallah khair for all the advice. And and I believe um, there's many different ways of looking at this. There's the way of only looking at it from the um, secular perspective, if you want to put it that way, where the research and stuff like that. But also, we should look at it from a religious perspective of what are we doing as community. Like like you addressed the fact that imams need to have this sort of training, and you you touched on autism and other uh, other such uh what's it called mental health um illnesses if you can so call them that that need to be addressed and assessed and you know taken care of like like we take care of our kids and we make sure they learn how to you know pray salah they know how to you know they have talim al-haq so they can learn all of the steps of wudu and stuff like that this is also something that you know we should pay attention to in the ever-growing society and world where the mental health issues are coming from the issues which we're bringing upon ourselves and like i said you know when we spoke about the social media thing that's a huge element of envy causes people to have this sort of anxiety and depression of why why don't i have such and such thing or why why can't i succeed like this person like you know we were talking about social media influencers and how they show off certain things that they have but in reality they don't even possess it like a company sends it to them and they're like look put it on your page We'll pay you some money and send it back to us afterwards. And behind the scenes, people don't know what happens, but they see it up front, you know, the shine, the glow, and they get so impressed by it. And and in the ever-growing world, it's just crazy. I was watching a guy yesterday. He was somewhere in Punjab playing a simulator game. It's called Euro Simulator. And uh, he was driving this, this truck from Saudi to Iraq to Egypt on, on the simulator game, and he had 5,000 people watching him. And and I sent it to some of my friends and I'm like and my cousins and I'm like why is anybody watching him? You know I'm not saying anything bad about him. You know Allah Subhanahu wa Taala give barakah and his risk and everything, but you know he's sitting there. He dressed up like a trucker and he's sitting there playing a simulator game, and people are watching him and they're telling him in the comment section, "I love you. What you're doing is great." And, and I'm just it's beyond me. Like what's going on? But what's it called? Uh, but no, Jazakallah khair for your time, Mawlana okay. Sab. Um, inshallah, I look forward to re- you know talking with you some more and getting this podcast episode uh, as okay. out as soon as I can, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah for inviting me. Uh, no, without a doubt. Um, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum